It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Monday episode of Locked on Raptors, we begin a tour around the Eastern Conference. Three episodes this week, and we have nine separate chats with the various hosts of the Locked on shows covering the other nine best teams, as I perceive it, in the Eastern Conference. And today, we start things out with the Atlanta Hawks, who, of course, made a big offseason move for DeJounte Murray, the Miami Heat, who did a whole lot of nothing, and the, of course, Milwaukee Bucks, the former champions a couple of years back with Giannis Antetokounmpo. We dig into the big questions around all these three teams with the Locked On hosts who cover them each and every day on your Monday episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1245 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, September the 19th. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm your host, Sean Woodley at RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at Woodley Sean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. And you can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on all your favorite podcast apps in audio form. We are also on YouTube for free. And you can subscribe to see my mug each and every day over on YouTube. Just go search up Locked On Raptors, hit the big red subscribe button, and you have done me a service for which I will forever be indebted to you. All right, on today's show, which is of course your first listen of the day, we begin the first of three shows this week as we tour around the, what I perceive to be the nine other top teams in the Eastern Conference of the top 10 teams I perceive in the Eastern Conference. Look, I had to stretch it for one of them. I think there are nine really good teams in the East, and then I sandwiched in the Wizards, partly because we talked about the Knicks last week with our pals Gavin and Alex Wolf from Locked On Knicks. 
but also because I kind of think the Wizards are better than the Knicks, and that's not exactly uh, like uh, anything special. It's damning with faint praise, to be sure, but we will talk about the Wizards this week. We'll talk about, of course, the close rivals within the East, the Cavs and the Celtics and all that good stuff, but today we start with the Atlanta Hawks with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks, the Miami Heat with Dave Ramil of Locked On Heat, and Kane Pittman of Locked On Bucks here to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Without further ado, let's get to it and start things off with our chat about the Hawks with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks. Let's get to it. All right, joining me now for our first stop around the Eastern Conference contenders is the wonderful Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks, who is here to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, of course. Brad, how are you, man? Living the dream. We're almost there, right? The, the season is now, uh, I guess we're, we're officially kind of close at this point, which is nice. Yeah, we're like we, within a month. We can smell the like the media day, like uh, the prepared meals cooking for us to go and consume once we go and uh, you know grab ass at our, at our respective media days. It's all very exciting. Uh, let's dig into the Hawks, shall we? A team that. I've never been super high on, honestly. Like, I always kind of find myself on the low end of the Hawks spectrum when it comes to preseason projections. Although, I'm finding myself, the more I think about this team, liking what this version of the Hawks is going to look like, potentially, if all things kind of fall into place. We should probably start with the big deal, of course. DeJounte Murray coming in in exchange for a whole lot of picks to be that sort of backcourt partner for Trey Young, potentially shield him a little bit defensively. What were your sort of overall takes on the trade itself did you think it was worth the the assets that it costs the time that the team is at where in terms of its like win trajectory at the moment and then also the fit between young and murray which i think a lot of people are maybe overthinking a little bit like it's gonna probably be fine like we, we always kind of do this when good players play with one another it's like how are they gonna do it well there's 48 minutes there's 82 games it tends to work out when you have good players playing with each other so thoughts on the deal and the overall fit between trey and murray yeah, so I mean, I think context is important here, and people might be asking like, why the Hawks kind of pushed a lot of chips in with where they were a year ago. You know, they won forty three games, they made it out of the play in, but they were uh, you know beat pretty soundly in the first round of the playoffs. And people kind of ask me when I go on radio things like, why are the Hawks pushing so hard? And it's like, well, they have some internal pressure. I think ownership hmm. wants to win. I think they arrived a year early, maybe two years early, when they make the conference finals. And as you well know, that can kind of ratchet things up internally to where they think that they're going to be that every year, and they just weren't sure. that last year. So that's part of it and also for the longest time it seemed like as soon as trey young became like an established number one and they, they kind of knew they had with, with, with what they had with him the next question was who's number two on this roster and that's how it always works right like who's the, who's gonna be the second star to pair sure. with trey and i think murray's gonna accomplish that in their mind so you can certainly pick apart like how good murray is he made the all-star team last year I'm not sure he's a top 25 player in the league i would say he's probably not uh, but still a top 40 guy in the league something like that and I think that they were also definitely looking for uh, a guy who could handle playmaking responsibilities. You know, famously, the Hawks have been terrible on offense. Whenever Trey Young leaves the floor for the entire era of Trey Young, even even in the playoff run, they just couldn't function without him. And I think Murray gives them that. They paid a hefty price for sure. I mean, they gave up certainly market value. You can sort of, I guess, you can kind of argue both sides of whether they overpaid or not. I would probably, if you said, okay, your only choices are they overpaid or they underpaid, I would probably lean over. But sure. I also get why they did it. I think the fit to your point earlier, like they're adding a really good player who I think the fit is not perfect, but it's good enough. And I think mm -hmm. that Murray's a lot of the boost here is they're making on Murray to help the second unit. Sure. Staggering those guys together and having it all pieced together. So I'm definitely a fan of what they did overall. There are some questions. The depth is not what it used to be on this roster, a little bit more top heavy, but that's the price of paying what they did for Murray. And I think he'll help them a lot. 
Yeah, so just to, to refresh people on the sort of tail of the tape from last season, 43-39 and 39 for the Hawks. They, of course, sneak in through the play-in, end up getting beaten by the Heat in five in the first round. Uh, second in offense, 116.3 offensive rating per cleaning the glass and a 114.8 defensive rating, good for 26th in the league last year. <laughs> That's the big bugaboo for sure. When you look at the Hawks, it's always been a question as to whether or not you can build a real defense with Trey Young kind of at the point of attack. Obviously, Murray should help with that in theory. You kind of can hide Young a little bit more on sort of off-ball threats. But can this team kind of turn its defense around? And if they can, does the addition of Murray at all impact the offensive potency of this team? Or maybe they come down from number two in offense and they're kind of, you know, maybe flirting with just barely top 10, but the defense gets better. Is that worth the trade-off of the offense, which is so elite? Like, where do you kind of see things coming out offensively and defensively for this team this year now that Murray's in the mix? Yeah, the defense is a big part of the Murray acquisition. You know, they, they wanted at least somebody that could do both, both handling the ball and also defending. And Murray, they like defensively. You know, I'm kind of skeptical always of banking on a guard to change your defensive fortunes. Sure. Um, I think Murray is a good defender, not a great one as well, which is certainly helpful. But he is an upgrade on what they had before, definitely. And I think last year, you mentioned the, the, the 26 defense. Their talent was better than that. Was it? Is it sure. great defensive talent? No, it's not. I mean, you, you have Trey on the roster. That is a uh, something that holds you back. But two years ago, they were they were seventeen or eighteen. Like th- they have the ability to be a league average defense in my mind with this group. And also a little known thing, maybe maybe a little little discussed thing, is that while I love him dearly, Danilo Gallinari is a very very bad defender. And he's not going to be on this <laughs> team anymore. So that's that's one that's one thing. That, like if you like, kind of go through the roster, like taking Gallo away. And also adding Murray. And I think Kevin Herter is not a terrible defender, but going from Herter to Murray is an upgrade defensively as well. So mm-hmm. the personnel is better than it was. They have 48 good minutes of center defense, which you know is like crucial for a lot of these teams to, to play drop coverage. That uh, the only way you can really put that together is to not have a weakness in the front court, and they don't have one. So, you know, Trey's going to bring them down. They have other weaknesses as well. Like Donovich is a step slower than he used to be, but I think defensively they'll be just fine. I think they won't be good. I would guess somewhere in the 20 range, something like that, maybe low teens, but that's sure. a lot better than where they were last year and offensively they were second in the league that may not be sustainable I think uh, it sounds crazy people keep laughing when when I say this but the Hawks added an all-star guard and they probably got worse if you had to choose offensively just because of all the part you know number one they were awesome last year maybe to an unsustainable degree and also you know you take away some shooting with Kevin Herter you bring in a guy with Murray who's gonna help the second unit but I think the starting lineup offensively is probably gonna be a little bit worse than it was before Just because you have a little bit less spacing uh, and probably some time to figure it out between Trey and Murray as well. So I won't give you the entire deep dive pitch, but I think maybe a little bit worse offensively, better better defensively. This, this, by the way, this is still a offense first team. I want to be very clear sure. about that. They're still going to be very good on. <laughs> they're still be very good on offense with Trey Young. Trey is a uh, sort of a one of kind offensive player, but they should be a little bit closer to balanced this year than they were before. Yeah, for the deep dive on the Hawks, listen to Locked On Hawks, baby. There's a plug. Uh, So we've talked about Trey and DeJounte quite a bit. And I think this is a fascinating question because there's lots of different candidates. But I'm curious, Brad, who do you think is the third most important player to the Hawks' fortunes this season? Yeah, it's a really fascinating question. Those guys are the top two. I think probably for this season alone, this guy that I would point to is Probably DeAndre Hunter. Not that sure. he is their best player. He is not. I want to be clear about that. He's their most important in terms of like how good they're going to be. Right. His his swing is huge because last year I've always liked Hunter, but he had, he had a pretty rough season, and I think he's yeah. had some really interesting like challenges staying on the court. And also, if you look behind him, there isn't a lot there. He's they're really relying on him taking a leap this year and also being healthy and available. 
Like, I think certainly Capella is a better player than Hunter. I think John Collins is a better player than Hunter. So those guys, you can certainly argue for both of those guys. But I think Hunter, given the lack of depth behind him and given that, he, you know, how important small forwards are. I mean, you, you, you cover a team that has a million of these guys who are six, eight, six, nine, <laughs> but not every team does. And most, most teams don't have these, don't have that abundance And the Hawks really only have one of them. I mean, John Collins mm-hmm. is more of a pure four, four and a half guy. Hunter is really the only player on this roster right now today. That's that's that six, eight prototypical two way wing. And if he's not going to be there or, or if he's going to struggle, that caps are selling a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also want to ask you about on Yekon Konglu, who I, I think is probably if the Hawks were given truth serum, like the guy that they're hoping will be their second or third best player somewhere down the line, you know, replace Clint Capella in the middle. He's maybe kind of the guy who's made them feel like John Collins is expendable, which is why I guess he's been on the trade market for the last <laughs> five years, a la Miles Turner. Um, what's the sort of read on a Konglu coming into this season? Like, does it feel like there's a leap kind of waiting to happen with him? Where does he sort of sort into the mix? obviously a pretty loaded front court that you talked about there with Capella and Collins and Hunter probably sliding down a little bit to play the four. Where does a Kongwu fit into all that? Yeah, I love a Kongwu. I think that um, honestly, when they drafted him, I, I liked it more than a lot of people did. Um, and I think they kind of, vic- they kind of were victimized by Capella being too good. Sure. I'm not sure they planned on Capella being here still at this point when they drafted a Kongwu, but right. the combination of Capella being really valuable and also a Kongwu having kind of two injury, not, not necessarily injury plagued, but certainly injury influenced seasons in a row. Um, that means Capella's still here. And while Capella's on the roster, barring an injury, a Kongwu's ceiling is a little bit tapped because Capella's sure. going to play. He's too good not to. And right now, a Kongwu is really just just a five. He, I know he, I know he's six eight, six nine, and there's that thought he might be able to play some four down the line, but he's not quite there yet. I do love him, and so do they. To your point, I think two years from now, if he's their third best player. No one should be surprised by that. He's really, really good. Um, I think, if anything, you're looking at more of a closer split between those center minutes between Capella and Kongwu. Last year, it was like 28 to 20, something like that, 28 to 19. I think maybe like the 26-22 kind of split now for Capella and Kongwu. Um, I wish that Kongwu maybe developed more of his perimeter stuff. And honestly, a big key for me is that this is the first offseason that he's ever had as a pro that he was actually healthy. And skill development time, all of that stuff. He's still really young. I love him. I think that he may not play as much as people want him to play this year because Capella's still there, but I really like him a lot. Makes a lot of sense. I know that when I see the Raptors play him, I get terrified because he's very, very good at defense. And that's, he is. Uh, he's a lot of fun <laughs> to watch. So uh, I'm going to throw these questions to all of the hosts that we're doing these little whip arounds with. And you have to answer in very short form, and it's binding. So here we go. Uh, give me a win total for the Hawks this year, a seed in the Eastern Conference, and level of playoff advancement. What you got? Ooh, all right. Uh, I have said 47 wins on multiple platforms, so I will stick with that for now. That could change in the future, but you're not letting me change it. So 47 wins. <laughs> I will say they will be the sixth seed in okay. the Eastern Conference, maybe closer to seven than five, but six. And uh, if I had to guess, I would say probably a first-round exit, but... Uh, I'm not convinced of that. I think this team has has room to grow beyond the first round exit. But just given where, like, if you're a six seed, you're playing somebody that's better than you in the first round without home court. You kind of have to project the loss there. But sure. uh, it would not surprise me if they made a second round appearance this year. Makes a lot of sense. And so does that ha- you have them ahead of the Raptors in the Eastern Conference standings then? Uh, well, spoiler alert, I'm actually really low on the Miami Heat. Um, Ooh, me too. We love but, it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, this is... I, I, because you asked me to be short, I will be short. But I think there is really a very large group 
uh, that might include Miami and Toronto and Atlanta and Cleveland and maybe Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. We'll see about Brooklyn. I don't know about Brooklyn, but like sure. that 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 group is really kind of go can go any way. So I'm not too married to anything that I'm saying here. I do like my win total, but like would it surprise me if Toronto was the five seed and Miami was the seven seed or the eight seed? No, it wouldn't. Would it surprise me if the mm-hmm. Hawks were the five seed? No, it wouldn't. Cavs, same thing. So those those four teams really, I think Miami being in that group is like kind of controversial, but not for me. I think they're they're probably in that group for me. I think I'm with you too. They're kind of old. They lost PJ Tucker. And if they're smart, they're probably not going to go balls to the wall season long because we saw what that did to their old brittle bodies as they went into the postseason last year after being the one seed. Uh, Brad, thanks so much for taking some time. I'm sure we'll talk a lot now that the Raptors and Hawks are kind of in that same sphere of the Eastern Conference. So I'm sure we'll have plenty of check-ins this season. Uh, But until then, where can people check out all your stuff? Yeah, the Hawks are at the same win total, I believe, by our friends at Battle Online. So I'm sure we'll be talking about those teams battling all season long. But yes, you can follow my work at BT Rowan on Twitter for everything. I'm at Dime. I host a lot on Hawks podcast. I write for Sportsline. I'm all over the place. But uh, everything can be found at BT Rowan on Twitter and at Locked on Hawks on Twitter as well. Awesome stuff. That'll do it for our Hawks whip around. Coming back, coming back on the other side of the break, we'll be joined by Dave Ramil of Locked on Heat to dig into Raptors and Heat stuff. We'll probably talk about Kyle Lowry's butt and a whole bunch more that's coming up in just a second. Thanks, Brad. We'll get to that chat with the host of Locked on Heat, Dave Ramil, in just one second. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor for today, and that is rocket money you are you like me and you just like subscribe to things for you know one-off purposes maybe for a free month trial or something like that and then you just totally forget to cancel and then it's an enormous hassle to get rid of those subscriptions that you just keep on forgetting about you get that bill every 30 days and it's like oh damn i forgot another month to cancel this thing i'll kick it down the road and get it next week and then you forget again yeah that's me and it probably is you in some way shape or form as well are you wasting money on subscriptions 80 percent of people have subscriptions they forgot about maybe for you it's an unused amazon prime account or a hulu account that never gets streamed there's this great app that i use though that helps me track all of my expenses and because of it i no longer waste money on subscriptions i don't even use you might have heard of it it's called rocket money formerly known as true bill where you can cancel unnecessary subscriptions with rocket money today go to rocketmoney.com locked on seriously it could save you hundreds per year that's rocketmoney.com locked on and yes you totally should be checking them out they're going to save you money it is one of the best apps lots of people have ever used it's this is according to surveys of people who have used the account use the app and use their account to get out of subscriptions that they have forgotten about once again that is uh, rocketmoney.com slash locked on go and check them out this is jake from locked on locked on has teamed up with state farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in nba history After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And let's get back to it now. My chat with 
Dave Ramil of Locked on Heat on tap next. All right, joining me now as we continue our tour around the best teams in the Eastern Conference is our pal Dave Ramil from Locked on Heat to dig into the Miami Heat, the defending one seed in the Eastern Conference. Dave, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Sean. How are you, sir? Really, really great, and uh, always happy to catch up with our old pal Kyle Lowry and the gang down there in Miami. We'll get to Kyle in a sec, get a sort of status update on where he's at, but I, I do just kind of want to start big with the Heat here, Dave. The the offseason, obviously, the Heat were kind of, it seemed, waiting to see if they could pounce on a Kevin Durant or a Donovan Mitchell. They ultimately don't do a whole lot. They bring back uh, whatever Martin twin is on their team, Caleb, I believe, uh, <laughs> and, and they they, you know, they, they lose P.J. Tucker, and it seems like they're kind of banking on internal growth and sort of the infrastructure they have in place to carry forward what was a pretty good season last year. The tail of the tape for them, 53-29, and 29, number one seed in the East, as we mentioned, 11th in offense per cleaning the glass and fourth in defense. Uh, and yet there still seems to be this kind of perception that among the upper crust contenders in the East, while Philly and Boston loaded up and Milwaukee continues to be Milwaukee, the Nets are kind of back maybe in our lives in some meaningful way. The Heat are kind of maybe the most vulnerable of that bunch to the collection of team that features the Raptors just below them. Uh, where are you at with that sort of sentiment? Are you on board with the Heat maybe being a little bit vulnerable, maybe be at risk of a drop back from where they were last season? Or are they just going to do the very annoying Heat thing where they win all the games and are very good and annoying over the course of 82 games? Because that's just how they roll. Right. I mean, that's part of the big question for them that I, what I don't know if they're necessarily the most vulnerable that's not the terminology I'd use what I'd call them is just the biggest unknown amongst those upper crust teams because sure they could take that leap if certain players on this roster take that growth uh, that, that make that leap in terms of their own development if they explore something different offensively if Tyler Hero emerges as the player he was a couple of seasons ago and continues to be as productive as he was uh, during the regular season not necessarily the version we saw of him of the playoffs so there is potential for them to still be one of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference but there's also the possibility of them kind of falling out of that, uh, you know, upper crust level there and, and being more of a play-in tournament team, especially with the older players in the roster like Jimmy and Kyle Lowry specifically. So I, I think it's it's interesting to see exactly what's going to happen with this Heat team. I, I have no idea, uh, I, honestly. <laughs> I, I Because, you know, because P.J. was, if not essential, he was still very important to what Miami did. And he was, uh, you know, he was great on defense. He was still kind of a safety valve on offense. He was able to drive to the hoop, that three-point corner shot. In the first half of the season, he was the best three-point shooter in the NBA by percentage. So, you know, he was a valuable player. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this glaring hole at the four spot, and I don't know that anybody on this current roster can fill it and fill it well so that they can continue to contend at the high level they have. But you're right in terms of the idea that, you know, they could just win a lot of Games unexpectedly. I don't think they'll catch people by surprise the same way they did last year when Jimmy sure. Butler, Kyle Lowry missed personal, you know, time for personal reasons. Of course, Bam missed time due to injury, and somehow they were able to string this group of Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, etc., into 53 wins. So it, it doesn't seem like that's likely to occur again, but that doesn't mean that they won't find a way to win a lot of games and still potentially contend in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I mean, look, this is a team that has Kyle Lowry on it. If there's one thing we know about Kyle Lowry, it's that his teams win a lot of games. Uh, and, and that was even the case last year, you know, even though he missed time with personal yeah. issues that were going on. Like, when he was in there, he was driving winning for the Heat. Like, that's just what he yeah. does. I think there's this perception of Kyle now that he's in his deep 30s. You know, he was injured last season in the postseason. Um, you know, took a lot of tumbles on that ample posterior, it seemed. And he was barely able to walk it off half the time. Um, but, like... For those in Toronto who are still wistful for their old pal, well, what's the sort of ex- expectation coming to the year for Kyle? I know he's sort of got uh, a little bit of the ire of Pat Riley regarding, you know, his physical conditioning and stuff like that, which felt kind of unfair and maybe, I, I don't really know. I-, I take issue with anyone body shaming my sweet, uh, rotund pal. But uh, <laughs> where do you think kyle's expectations are where do you think like the team's expectations for kyle are coming into this season is there still the expectation that he can be one of the two or three best players on a 50 plus win title contender or might there be some sort of stepping back of his role as he continues to age maybe they try to preserve him for the playoffs where if you remember he nearly pulled off that comeback against the celtics in game seven in the late going almost by himself like he was incredible yeah jimmy had some stuff to do with it as well but i'm giving all of the praise to kyle what's the read on kyle coming into year two with miami it's it's gonna be tough. Uh, look, I, I think the Pat Riley comments were kind of overblown. I know that Raptors fans and deservedly so are sensitive <laughs> about any criticism of Kyle. Uh, having said that, look, I mean that's just Riley. He's always been a little brash. He always puts it out there. He, he you know notoriously uh, drove off LeBron James by questioning whether or not he had the guts to come back and stay with his team in 2014. <laughs> Clearly, he didn't. So quite a game uh, of chicken was, to play. Uh, yeah, and lose. I know. You're a superstar <laughs> player. I, I mean, I guess it helps. Kyle's under contract for two years. He can't really do anything. But yes, questioning his uh, his overall health and, and, and state of conditioning is certainly an interesting choice there. But uh, I think he is going to be in better shape. Like we've seen the workout videos. And, you know, obviously you can take those with a grain of salt during the offseason, things of that sort. But I'm sure he's going to come into camp a little bit better of shape. And hopefully he'll be able to be a little bit more consistent and he'll be available for more games than he was last season. I personally have high expectations for Kyle just because I've always been a Lowry fan. Uh, I've always admired his style of play. I've always liked him as a person and as a player. And I think he's going to be able to continue to contribute at a high level. Heat fans have soured on him to a degree that I did not expect. Like a a Mm. lot of people are uh, critical of this Heat front office because they didn't make that big splashy move for KD or Mitchell or any other superstar. I don't know that, you know, a superstar was going to shake free all of a sudden. But Heat fans have come to expect that whenever one does, uh, Miami will find how find a way to pluck them and, and add them to the roster. Their superstar is Kyle Lowry. They got the biggest name in free agency last offseason, and they mm-hmm. were able to trade for him. So he is still their star there. I think he's still going to be able to play at a high level. I think he look he's been very consistent in saying that he came here to win a title. I think that's still his goal. Obviously, he still wants to play at a high level. So if you take that leap, if he just plays even slightly better than what the version that he did last year, and like to your point, he was still very good even when he was out on the floor. If he's even slightly better, you get a little bit of a bump from Tyler, Bam, etc. This is still a very, very good team. So I, my expectations are there that he will continue to play high level, that he will still have a significant role in Miami's offense and defense, and, and that he's just going to continue to thrive because I just I don't see him. I don't see him aging necessarily. Like, yes, their injuries are there, but they've been there a part of Kyle's career for the last few seasons. I don't know that it's necessarily a part of aging. What did you think of the the comments? I don't know if you saw this from Tim Hardaway. I guess it was a bigger story here in South Florida, but questioning Mm -hmm. that Kyle 
might need to cut down on flopping to some degree. That that's probably led to those injuries in the postseason. I know this is kind of off script here a little bit, but I was. That's curious part of the, the the joy of Kyle Lowry, man. He's yeah. always grifting. That like he's not Kyle Lowry if he's not doing that stuff. He's just some run of the mill point guard who is well behaved. Uh, that's that's not the the spirit with which Kyle Lowry plays. <laughs> yeah, and I personally don't even think that the flopping necessarily is even a part or a contributor in his injury status or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, especially because, as you mentioned, he does have a lot of cushion to absorb those falls. Uh, you know, so I, I don't see it as a big deal. But either way, I, I just think he's going to continue to play high level, and I, I do have high expectations for him next season. Not trusting the medical advice of Dr. Hardaway, I'm going to say. Uh, congrats on making the Hall of Fame, but uh, maybe right. uh, leave Kyle alone. I'm very defensive of, over Kyle, as it turns out. Uh, I, I do want to ask about Bam Adebayo. He, he feels mm. like probably the most important player for this Heat team. I think there was a little bit of stagnation with him offensively last year, right? We know he's an incredible defender. Had he played more games last season, he might win Defensive Player of the Year. He might go win it this year. He's that good and essential to what they do on defense. But offensively, still doesn't even pretend to want to shoot threes. Still, you know, kind of passive and defers quite a bit. Obviously, you know, he's got a lot of very good qualities on offense as well. Running stuff from the elbows, two-man games with shooters, things like that. Uh, are you expecting that there is going to be that expansion of Bam's offensive game that has been kind of, it seems like people have been yearning for that for a while now, or is maybe Bam out of bio just a very good player who is maybe not a guy who's going to go score you 23 a game and that's fine? Uh, it's hard to tell, to be 100% honest with you. I, I think there were some growing pains in learning how to adjust with Kyle because Kyle, as mm. the essential playmaker on that group, he was running the offense in a way that Bam had been the hub of the offense for the past few seasons before Kyle's sure. acquisition. So I think having the ball out of his hands kind of changed his perspective a little bit. Uh, he, he recognized that he needed to be aggressive. He was constantly challenged by fans and media. I think he bristled at that to some degree. But yet he didn't necessarily show it uh, as consistently as fans would like. So I, I think the next step for him is to continue to just expand his range, uh, be more comfortable in the mid-range shot. We saw growth in that you know that department last season. It was very slight, very incremental. And yet if he continues to expand, eventually you'd like to see him step out beyond the three-point line. Because I, I think the stroke is there. He looks comfortable. He looks fluid. He's just always had... Just a little bit of a hesitancy there. I remember talking mm -hmm. to Chris Bosch years ago. I don't know if you and I ever even talked about this, but Bosch was training with Bam at one point, and he said, all he needs is to be aggressive and confident. And this was years ago. And here we are right. still talking about the same thing. And so you wonder why it's taken this long. And, and you ask Bam about it. He says, oh, Spo just needs to, you know, take the leash off of me. But I think it's all in his head, <laughs> to be honest with you. I really do. Like, there are moments there where you see him from 18 feet, and he's just like, he's wide open. Take the shot. So I think we'll start to see that growth because it's just been incremental and he has shown it in the past few seasons, but we just want it to be a much more consistent threat where defenses recognize that and sag off him a little bit because then we know with his speed and strength, he can't get to the cup and score at a high level. For sure. I think probably color me a little bit more on the skeptical side of things of yeah, Bam kind of expanding why. that offensive repertoire. At least this season, it might be more of a sort of multi-year work in progress type thing. And I think that's why... I may be a little bit lower on the heat than uh, I probably was, you know, even earlier in the offseason now that I kind of look at the state of the Eastern Conference. And so that brings me to the ceremonial three-pronged question I'm asking every guest on these quick rip-arounds of the Eastern Conference. Again, these answers are binding. You can't change them at all. So, uh, Dave, I ask you to answer very briefly predicted win total, predicted seed, and playoff advancement level for the Miami Heat this season. 
advancement level being like on a scale of one to how many something? rounds how many rounds are they oh. getting through i should say yeah <clears throat> okay all right uh let's see i think they'll finish with a record of 47 and 35 okay uh, i think that'll be good for the sixth seed i would say mm -hmm. uh and i think that they'll be able to advance to well i still think i i still have them pegged as an eastern conference finalist to be not sure depending if we see a significant leap there they could wind up going to the finals but for now i'd see them as a eastern conference finalist i mean jimmy butler it seems like it's yeah. kind of you can't question that dude anymore in the playoffs at least like he's yeah. a monster and he just kind of becomes a new player uh so hard to bet against them uh so it, i guess that then leads to the final question raptors or heat like you got those two teams heads up in a in a sort of single game elimination game who do you got right now uh, I'd still give Miami the the edge there, very slightly perhaps, but I, I still think they have the, just a little bit more consistency, a little bit more familiarity, and I'm not sure what kind of a leap Scotty Barnes is going to take. I know, like I, I went on Locked on Cavs yesterday, and I besmirched <laughs> the sanctified name of Evan Mobley, and so here I am pissing <laughs> off uh, yet another franchise and saying, I'm not sure what Scotty Barnes is going to be like this season. I, I'm sure he's going to be fine, but I'm just not ready to proclaim him an all-NBA-level player just yet in his second season. That's totally fair. Uh, all I know and is that wrong, whenever I'm they, sure, right? <laughs> there you go. No, I, hey man, I, I, I think it's always smart to temper expectations with twenty-year-olds going into their second season. Yeah, it's never a bad a, idea. A good, yeah, that's yeah. a good thing. Uh, he's better than Tyler Hero, though. We know that for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, yeah, I guess that's about it, man. I, I, I'm excited for these games. We know that when they play, they will be like 84, 81 games where like Absolutely. nine players on the floor are bleeding by the time it's over. So that should be a lot of fun. We'll catch up with you throughout the season. Dave, thanks so much for popping on. And we will round this show out with a chat about the Milwaukee Bucks with Kane Pittman of Locked On Bucks in just one second here. But first, a reminder that you can check out the Locked On NBA Top 50 Players all week long at Locked On NBA's YouTube channel and on the various podcast platforms you subscribe to the show on. All the hosts who are reacting to the Bet Online Top 50 Most Valuable Players list in order, being, uh, you know, from 50 all down to one, I will be featured prominently as three Raptors are in the top 50. I disagree with where a couple of them are. And so you can check that out and uh, go subscribe. Locked On NBA each and every day. Support that show and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And let's get back to it now. The chat with Kane Pittman of Locked On Bucks closing things out. Let's get to it. And joining me now to close out part one of our three-episode tour around the Eastern Conference is Kane Pittman, our pal from Lockdown Bucks, and ESPN Australia. He's a famous man now these days. Uh, Kane, how's it going, pal? It's going pretty well. And if we're in the first episode, does that mean that the Bucks are ranked high in your mind in the East? Is that the way it works? Are you starting from top to bottom? 
it's not really how it worked. I just kind of did uh, whoever responded to my message to come okay. on the podcast first. Uh, but I do think the Bucks are the best team in the East going into the year. I'll spoil that. Uh, I even think I would take them over the Celtics right now. Maybe not crazy considering they took them to seven without Chris Middleton last year. Um, so let's dive in there. Like sort of a quiet off season for the Bucks. They keep some guys. They don't really bring anybody new in. I think there's some hope for like internal growth from some of the younger pieces. Maybe a Jordan Nawara, you got Mamu, you got all these dudes. Like, what's the vibe in Milwaukee right now? Like, is, I guess you're in Australia, so maybe you're not telling me what the vibe in Milwaukee is. But by proxy, what's the vibe among Bucks fans? And is there like an expectation that, yeah, run of the mill, this is going to be one of the best teams in the league. We have the best player in the world, and it's just going to kind of be business as usual for the Bucks this year. Or is there concern that the Celtics loaded up and got Malcolm Brogdon, the Sixers have loaded up and gotten all the old Rockets pals, uh, the Nets are back and maybe a real team, who's to say? Like, what's the vibe for Bucks fans right now going into this season? Yeah, I think it's probably split. I think there's some fans that to your point about Chris Middleton last year and think, well, look, you got Giannis, so you're going to be around the mark and then you need a little bit of luck later on in the postseason. That's just the reality. You have to see how that plays out. And then there is another section of the fan base that is probably just bored from the offseason and wanted something cool to happen or wanted something radical <laughs> to happen. But but the reality is it didn't really make sense for the Bucks to move on any of the key pieces. You were going to bring back Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, yeah, probably Lopez, who missed basically the entire regular season last year. So you're going to bring those four guys back. And then that's really your your core. And then they were able to re-sign Pat Connaughton, re-sign uh, Bobby Porter. So there's your, probably your six best players. So then mm -hmm. anything else you're doing is on the periphery. So I thought it made plenty of sense that they, they had a quieter offseason. Um, they got a really good team, and they should feel like they have a chance to win. It also just feels like, why go do crazy things when you just won a title a couple of years ago and you have Giannis, who's like an instant ticket to contention regardless. Maybe that's like a lazy way of team building and it's like, ah, good enough. We got Giannis, it's fine. And teams, I guess, have gone down the tubes with that strategy before, but like they got other guys too. It's not just Giannis and a bunch of humps out there. So it has to be, I think, while the offseason was boring, I could promise you that it was probably a lot better than your team maybe pretending that they were going to go get Kevin Durant but never actually doing it so it's just not always greener on the other side Bucks fans um I I guess well my question about this Bucks team is one of like urgency and you know this is not a young team necessarily Brooke Lopez is in his mid-30s now uh Drew Holiday Chris Middleton north of 30 or is Middleton 30 now I think gotta be like they've been around forever mm -hmm. uh and then of course you know the, the the back end of the roster you hope that some young guys can pop but there's also Serge Ibaka hanging out there and some other older fellas on the back end of the team like is there a does it feel like there's a time clock ticking here for the Bucks to like go and win as many titles as they can in the next year or two before maybe the downturn in a Middleton or a Holiday's career maybe sets the Bucks up for some years of maybe sort of fringe contention as opposed to being one of the very obvious best teams in the league? Mm, for this group, yeah. And I think it's yeah. actually shaping that next offseason is going to be really fascinating because Middleton will be in line for an extension. Brooke Lopez will be in line for an extension. And at that point... Yeah, I would be surprised if Chris Milton doesn't stay with the Bucks. But with Brooke Lopez, that's a guy that's been 
so crucial to everything you've done, particularly defensively, but also as a safety valve offensively. So what are you going to do with Brook Lopez, who's just had back surgery and missed 70 games last year? And as yeah. you pointed to, is in his mid-30s. So this offseason felt like a holding pattern, but there's no doubt that I think next offseason is when the Bucks are going to have to make some decisions. And not only that, they're paying luxury tax this year. That's only going to go up if they continue to pay all those guys. I mean, uh, there was always been some questions with the Bucks spend. I mean, they've really spent, and that is mm-hmm. that's not really something that you can accuse them of not doing at this point. So, uh, I think, yeah, this year they sh- they should be going in thinking and wanting to win a title. And if you win a title, does that change what you do next season? We'll see. I don't think overall there should be a great concern though, because Giannis is still only twenty seven, and I do think that you're going to be able to shuffle the decks and still be a really really good team as long as he's around. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, like, again, it kind of feels like a boring team coming into the year for all these reasons, Hmm. all the sort of, you know, the, and like a very good boring team. But I guess to sort of maybe sprinkle in some interest and intrigue here, like, what is something that when you look at the Bucks, you kind of point out as like, okay, that could be maybe a weak spot here. That could be something where, you know, this team sort of meets its downfall. Is there like a, a potential sore spot with this team that could be the thing that comes and bites it in the playoffs at some point? Well, consistently, the thing that's hurt the Bucks in the playoffs, really over the, the entire time that, that Bud's been here, has been the three-point shooting in the playoffs. It's been absolutely right. disastrous. And they were awful last year against Boston as well. So if you look at the roster, you say, well, they haven't really added anyone. Yes, you'll get Chris sure. Milton back, you hope. Uh, Marjon Bochamp was the first-round draft pick, pick 24. He was uh, with the G League Ignite last year. And there is genuine optimism that he can play this year. I think one thing that they learned last year is once Chris Milton went out, they were probably, and it feels like every NBA team is one wing short, but it felt like they were one wing short defensively without Chris there. You had guys like George Hill was defending Jason Tatum at times. He was kind of banged up as well, so that wasn't going to be a a fun situation for him. So Marjan Bochamp has the size, wingspan. They think he can be a defender now. Where does he fit in the rotation? We'll see. And then the other guy that they've basically got as almost their buyout addition is my good friend joe ingles now what does he return <laughs> what does he return to be who knows it's a huge question mark they're hoping that he'll be back playing by january but if he's anywhere near close to what he's been able to do previously maybe he's a guy that can can plug in and, and knock down some of those threes they haven't been able to get mm-hmm. yeah for sure uh, so like kane what's your sort of favorite maybe under the radar on court storyline or sort of development you're looking for this year i know like for the Raptors, for example, there's a whole lot of intrigue about, you know, how the defense is going to look after last year where they kind of played one style all the time and it kind of got run into the ground at some points. And I think that's sort of a thing a lot of people have their minds on as a thing to change up going into the year. I'm curious where you're at with sort of those intriguing on-court storylines that could help kind of determine the story of the Bucks season this year. Is there one that comes to mind? <laughs> it's honestly, it is. It might be boring, but they're just... <laughs> Listen, it is sometimes hard. You know, you would do this podcast Monday to Friday and it's like, fire out. You've just gone through the off-season. Nothing's happened. <laughs> Thank goodness for Eurobasket. That's all I'll say. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Got, got eliminated. But that was a bit of fun for a while. So one thing that we are talking about a lot, though, is what do the Bucks do with the backup point guard position? So they've got, a, they've got an open roster spot right now. So George Hill mm-hmm. has been a bit of a staple with the Bucks. Uh, towards the back end of last season, he actually had. Oh, this might be a little dramatic in the in the 
in, in the phrasing here, but broken neck. He was having some serious, serious neck issues. Sure. Um, so, he, so he wasn't healthy, uh, but he played. Javon Carter's the other guy that's there. So I look at that and say, well, George Hill's 35, 36 now. I would say that that's a position that they would be looking at and saying potentially we can shore up this position. And once mm-hmm. you do get to the postseason, having a guy that can hold up defensively and dribble the ball is pretty damn important. So mm-hmm. I think that that's an area that the Bucks will look to to make uh, a move. And then the other question is, what do they do with Grayson Allen? I think that they, I think they like Grayson Allen. I think they want to keep him around. I think they're up to the they're the only ones. <laughs> well, I, th- so this is interesting. So there's been a lot of people talk about, well, what can you do with with Grayson Allen? Because he's a decent salary, a ten million dollar salary. Mm-hmm. And there's talk about Jordan Clarkson, all these types of players. I was like, I wonder if Utah wants Grayson Allen back for a second round. Who knows? I think the fans... They would might... love him in Utah. They would adore well, him. <laughs> well, well, Starting five with Grayson Allen and Lowry Marketing, it's like, Rudy and Donovan who? What? <laughs> yeah, look, my take is always, as long as you're knocking down threes, the people will love you. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for Grayson Allen in the Boston series, so the people turned on him a little bit. But right. yeah, so backup point guard and... and Guard depth is the big question. They'll they'll make a move at some point, whether it's just adding a guy or swinging a trade, but something's going to happen, I believe. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of the exact type of team that makes a deadline move of some way, shape, yep. or form. You know it would be really great for them? If the Wizards are as bad as I think they're going to be, uh, Monte Morris would be a lot of fun. Wouldn't that be yeah. great? Trade him again. Uh, so I've been rounding out these little quick chats, whips around the Eastern Conference with... Uh, a very important question. It's three-pronged. You have to answer. It's binding, and you have to answer very briefly. <laughs> so I will ask you now. Give me a win total for the Bucks this year, a seeding in the Eastern Conference, and the round to which they will advance in the NBA playoffs. Uh, 54 wins. Number two in the East. Okay. And they can go to the finals. Why not? I agree. I think they're going to the finals. I got a Bucks Nuggets finals set up. The Monte wow. Morris Revenge Finals, baby. Uh, <laughs> look, I've been That'd thinking be the Nuggets are going to make the finals for. Uh, I thought they were going to make it last year when there was those burblings that maybe Jamal Murray was going to come back. I actually put money down on them to win it, like fifty yeah. to one. Uh, it didn't end up paying off, but I, I can't quit the Nuggets. And I think the Bucks are awesome, man. Giannis is incredible. It breaks my brain every time I watch that dude play. And uh, had it not been for no Chris Middleton. And I think they probably beat the Celtics in like six last year. So I am with you. Bucks in the finals is, I think, my official pick. That It's binding now. It can't be changed, even on your mm-hmm. own podcast, if you change your mind. It, it was put into print here first. So sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> divert people back here or direct people back here for all of your uh, your binding predictions on the season. But that's going to do it here. Kane, thank you so much for popping on, man. Where can people check out your work? Yeah, just on Twitter, at Kane Pittman. I'm normally on there. Uh, rambling away and then uh, yeah check out the Lockdown Bucks podcast if you're interested I'm sure we'll podcast through the season I've just noted down 54 that was my win total 54 got to stick with it. <laughs> sounds good better be in pen not pencil don't be a coward yeah, that's about right. this it's in pen <laughs> uh, no Kane this was great man I'm sure we'll talk to each other throughout the season for sure Raptors Bucks games are always a blast because the Raptors uh, just seem to have built their entire team out of guys who can maybe guard Giannis, <laughs> but probably not. Right. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, but yeah, this was great. And that'll round up today's episode of the podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Please subscribe to follow, rate, and review the podcast for free wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. And go make your second listen of the day. Locked on Blue Jays. Uh, 
as the stupid Blue Jays are playing the stupid Rays again. The Blue Jays aren't stupid. <laughs> the Rays just make make me angry, but they're playing them again uh, all week long. So go check out Locked On Jays as Ben and Matt over there guide you towards the postseason. With that, we'll round it out. We'll be back again Wednesday with more quick check-ins with the hosts covering the teams in the Eastern Conference. I think we're talking Cavs, Celtics, and Wizards on Wednesday, baby. So keep an eye out for that. And thank you very much. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.